Wyatt, and welcome to the Rory's Nitro podcast, a show that rips up the bi-rated TV ratings and declares some of our own winners in pro wrestling's biggest head-to-head battles. I'm your host, Lee Carlos Cunningham, joined once again by the Doctor Amongst Men, Duncan Joyce. How's it going, Duncan? It's great to hear from you, Lee. Yeah, um, things are going pretty well here. Uh, happy to hear from you. How's things with you? Things are good. I'm in the off-season for football, so I'm hoping to throw myself back into my podcasting routine and, and get this back up and running um, and just enjoying some evenings to myself again. So, yeah, cannot complain over here in Oz. Nice. I'm not doing a very good job of managing my subscriptions at the minute. I forgot to cancel my network again after Clash of the Castle. At the castle. So I'm going to make time to get another round of shows for you in um, at some point. And... So I've just bought this new laptop that I'm on uh, the call with you now. And I got a free month of Xbox Game Pass with it. And I was like, oh, well, okay, well, I better get that sorted. And I went and checked in my Xbox app. And I could have waited until 2024 to redeem it. Oh, God. <laughs> I could have left it for a less busy month and it would have been fine. But, well, oh, well. I've got a it's a pretty swish gaming laptop i've got to try and take advantage of it and see how it works oh totally fair i um managed to like wrap up football get the off season i've got a seven week break and i think oh, i'm gonna watch so many shows get so far ahead and then i bought fifa and that, <laughs> went, <laughs> that went out the window <laughs> that was the one fifa that i was very tempted to get just to play as richmond fc in Ted Lasso. I've not started watching that yet, but I did just finish Wrexham, like, literally before we got on and I had all my laptop dramas trying to log in. Oh, uh, I, um, I just watched the Hooligans episode. That's where I'm up to. Okay. Really, really enjoyed that show. So, mm-hmm. um, highly addictive. We just binged it in about three days. So, if you've not watched the the Wrexham show, definitely watch it. Ted Lasso is actually next on our list to, to go and watch. So, football off-season and we're going to do binge all the football shows while we've got the spare time. <laughs> sweet it's it's well worth it definitely well we're not here to talk about football um tv or documentaries we're actually here to talk wrestling and we're here for the october 28th 1999 episodes of smackdown and thunder uh did you have fun watching these two duncan i kind of did actually yeah um for kind of ironic reasons i guess but yeah um it's a busy busy time point in wrestling I actually didn't mind watching these two shows, you know. It was one of the, the probably one of the better pairs, maybe the best, like, pair of shows on this timeline we've done yet. Um, not saying, you know, Thunder certainly wasn't great, but as far as, like, a Thunder and a SmackDown, like, the, the overall quality of the pair, this might be the best one we've done yet. Mm, I, I think I got Thunder done in two sittings, um... And it wasn't anything to do with like having a tough time with the show. It was just fitting it in with my own schedule and stuff. And then I think I got SmackDown down in one. Um, so yeah, there's there's lots of it's very angle heavy, and um, I think it'll be nice to talk about. Now the one thing I have failed to do is pull up the ratings. So I'm going to attempt to find them very quickly um, and put them in before we get started. So bear with me for 30 seconds. Um, for those um, wondering why we're so ill-prepared, I actually was, sh- I dialed in to chat to Duncan and couldn't actually hear him because I'd messed up. I'd plugged the wrong cord in for my headphones. So I am a little bit behind schedule and a bit flustered, but we will definitely catch up here and, and get this rocking and rolling any moment. Uh, well, and don't forget Skype uninstalling from your laptop. 
Yep, so I logged on and I have no Skype for some reason. I have no <laughs> idea how that could possibly happen. What are we on? Your computer went, it's been five months. You're not a collaborative podcaster anymore. <laughs> you don't need this. <laughs> well, by the looks of it, it SmackDown drew a 4.8 to Thunder's 2.3. So we still have the ratings. We got them in there. It just took a minute to get it get it recorded here. Oh, okay. I, I can't remember what the previous weeks was, but... um. Getting in the twos sounds slightly healthier for Thunder, I think. Yeah, it's not bad, is it? It could be worse. Well, which episode did you actually watch first this time around? I watched Thunder first, as as per usual. Then we are going to head over to Thunder and see what they've got to offer. Um, Let's get cracking. You ready to rock? Yeah, let's get to it. Ladies and gentlemen, Thunder is on the air! Are you ready for two exciting hours with the superstars of WCW on the Superstation TBS? You are looking live at the Cox Arena. Yes, we are on the campus of San Diego State University in the beautiful Southern California coast. We're in San Diego, California, and we are going to kick things off by going to the ring and our announcer, Dave Penzer. So, Thunder started out with our usual commentary team of Mike Tanay and Larry Zabisco and opened with a match, actually, for a change, which was going to be Hoover 2 Guerrero versus Evan Courageous. So, a bit of cruiserweight action to kick off Thunder. And, yeah. oh, sorry, go on, Duncan. Yeah, for sure. Um, immediate talk of that new creative team. Yeah, it's... Um... Uh, a little on the nose, this. This is this is the part of Thunder that I didn't like, which we'll definitely get to in due time as we go through. But yeah, like you're right, the the, the commentary team spend all night mentioning the powers that be, the creative team, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So it's um that is definitely the worst part about this show, but we'll, we'll get to that as we go through, I guess. Yeah, sure. Um, just a quick note on this one. So they tried to have this match on Nitro and Brett interrupted it. So that's why we're getting this rematch tonight. Fair play. Hoovy starts with some crotch chops. Um, he's uh, definitely a bit of a one for stealing the gimmicks in this time here between DX and The Rock. Um, it, nothing sacred. I'm just waiting for him to drop a stone cold pair of middle fingers. <laughs> but that'd be nicking Shark Boy's gimmick infringement gimmick. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I did. I had a note here. Hoovy with lots of DX gimmick infringement, so that makes sense now. <laughs> um, Evan Gray just hits a hip toss, and then we get a head scissors from Hoovy, and then a botch bulldog from Hoovy. A spin kick, um, he works over the knee for a short period and then hits a drop kick and Sid comes out. Um, the match just stops dead as he gets in the ring and he says he's undefeated and issues an open challenge. Um, I'll splice some of his promo in right about here. See, I stand before you tonight as always I stand here undefeated! What's he talking about? Doesn't he remember Halloween Havoc? Maybe he doesn't want to. I stand here with a purpose, a message, and a twisted gleam in my eye! 
message. What's he talking about? The referee stopped that match. And I have proof. Proof? And with proof and being still undefeated, I'm going to issue out an open invitation to anyone in the back that thinks they got the guts to come down here and try to break my streak. If you do, I'll cripple you. Well, there's the open challenge oh. from Sid Vicious. No, Eamon, there's the crippler. I wonder what proof he has, and you're right. It's the Canadian crippler, Chris Benoit. Oh, there can't be any proof. Um, this uh, leads to Chris Benoit coming out. Um, it was not long. Um, we, we get, sorry, not long enough, the promo here, uh, but... He does hit uh, Al Cripplier um, from Benoit. What did you think about the exchange here between Sid and Chris Benoit? It was interesting for me to see um, Benoit like going toe to toe on the mic with a with a main eventer like Sid. What did you think? Yeah, so as you mentioned, the, the leading line is Sid just going, "He'll cripple whoever answers." I'm like, "Oh, gee, who's going to answer this then?" Um, Benoit very plain on the mic. Um, I think I discussed on past episodes of. Our show on TNW, um, he goes here, I'm not a man of words, but a man of action. Why don't you find out what silent but violent is all about? Like, surely if you were silent but violent, you wouldn't be speaking at all. (laughs) It's not exactly Anne Frank as he cuts a promo from the top of the ramp. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But yeah, it's clear as we'll go on further into the show, this is where the, the main crux of the star power is. These are two guys that are very heavily featured on Nitro and more prominent shows, and they're going to be trusted to be the point of interest for this show. You know, and um, I... So- oh, sorry, I, I didn't mean to cut you off. I was just going to say, I think, I think that's why I enjoyed this show a bit more, because it feels like there are a couple of stars, at least, on it. Yeah, for sure. And when I tripped over my notes before, I actually wanted what I wanted to say was Sid drops the line, as you said, I'll cripple you. And, but Benoit's music hit instantaneously. They needed a pause there because the only way that could happen would be if Benoit knew in advance what he was going to say and was just waiting to interrupt. Well, we are in Russo territory, so nothing really has a moment to breathe here. Yep, and that's definitely the first sign. Um, there was still two competitors in the ring, so... Sid makes sure to um, clothesline both of them and powerbomb them both. And then we go backstage. Um, another promo, I'm going to splice it in b- before we talk about it. Where I understand that Gene Okerlund has corralled the maestro. Gene, are you there? Maestro, in recent weeks, we have been captivated by your flamboyant entrances, your in-ring style. However, put all that showmanship aside, and I've got to ask you very candidly, you think you've got what it takes to be successful here in WCW? Moi? Gee, come now. Being the consummate entertainer that I am, I am here in WCW to prove to all these polyester-clad simpletons that a maestro does indeed have a purpose. The maestro will perform a symphony of superior athletic skill. He will dazzle his public with an array, legato and vogue that will be music to the eyes. 
and he will build such a climax that even his worthless opponent will be applauding for an encore. You know why, Gene? Why? Because the maestro is the star. But as you would have heard, Gene Oakland with the maestro. What a fucking awful promo, Duncan. What is this nonsense? <sighs> Full of stumbly bumbly stuff here. Um, he calls himself the star of a show. I highly doubt it. He's barely <laughs> the star of Saturday Night on the basis of this. Um, um, but yeah, just like going back to how that previous match closed. Doesn't Russo think he's so cute doing this? Oh, we interrupted the Cruiserweight match, so we're going to give it you again here. Oh, and we're going to interrupt it again. It's it's very clear what the pecking order is going to be in this company now. Oh, definitely. Can he not just come out at the end of the match afterwards and, and hit them afterwards? At least let them have the bloody match. Yeah. Um, Tanae and Larry also had a little uh, l- little um, chit-chat at the desk, which is now at ringside like it is on Nitro. And um, uh, Larry kept going on about Benoit didn't work out in the revolution because he's a typical robotized sheep, whatever that means. Yeah, nonsensical. Um, yeah, just... Terrible all round, but I'm just going to... Actually, we've, we've got him coming out later. I'll, I'll hold it. We're going to go to the Maestro versus Prince Ikea. And now that we're at the match, I just... I fucking hate the Maestro's face. I, I have to say it. Like, his stupid fucking George Washington hair and his weird face. Yeah, just I mean, I'm, I'm, He has to have one of the most unlikable faces in all of wrestling. Oh, dear. He also has farty pyro. Why are you giving this lad pyro? <laughs> It looks like a fucking birthday party magician. What are we doing? (laughs) Uh, Well, he's not the only clueless lad in this match. Prince comes out here and he does his pose in the corner. He's He's like on a turnbuckle opposite the hard camera, like the wrong end. And then he, during his entrance, and he poses towards the hard cam for the most of it. So like he gets in the corner under the pretense of facing the fans and then he realises oh, shit, I need to be on camera, and turns away from them. Like, what are you doing, mate? Yeah, terrible. Um, and actually, I must have thought this the other night, because my notes say that Maestro looks like the illegitimate love child of Ted DiBiase and George Washington. Oh, <laughs> I think he looks like um, Jeff Jarrett's Double J gimmick if they tried to give, like, an upper-class version of that gimmick, but they found a much lower-class lad to do it. <laughs> That is so specific, and I love it. <laughs> oh man, we get some chain wrestling, to, uh, chain wrestling to start. Maestro is some corner strikes and a knee lift, and then an STF, and the Prince taps out immediately, um, and he goes to an encore, which is basically just locking it in again. Um, nothing to this match whatsoever. Yeah, that STF is actually called the encore, and so you know, do you get it? He put it on again because it's the encore. <laughs> um. All I will say for this match is, at the very least, it ended with the two best moves. Um, Maestro actually hit a pretty nifty knee lift to set up that STF as well. Yeah, fair. I'll give you that. Um, We see the revolution walking, which is like, like, this is definitely 1999 tropes, where we'll just cut to someone walking backstage um, as we go out to a commercial. (laughs) Um, I think you're saving this guy for later. Did you see another lad hanging around backstage most nights? Oh, is it is it Chavo that you're talking about here? <laughs> yeah, the search for Goldberg is on. 
Oh, I did miss that in my notes. Um, he's screaming Goldberg. He gets told by some backstage hand that Goldberg's not there. And he says, I'm just trying to get some TV time and keep screaming it, looking for him. Oh, it's not just some backstage hand, my friend. Who was it? It was Mike Graham telling Chavo that Goldberg's in LA and never drawing a dime. <laughs> he searched for him in every room and never drew a dime. <laughs> I did not notice that. Oh, that's brilliant. Oh, yeah. oh my God. After the commercial break, we come back and we've got Satin, Dean Malenko and Shane Douglas with Arm in Sling of the Revolution coming out. Um, now, I've got a question for you on this one, Duncan. So they talk about the... Um, we, we see footage of them abducting Tori Wilson on Nitro, the Revolution. Um, they cut a promo on the Filthy Animals. Um, Benoit comes out and cuts into a bit of a promo on his own. But the animals come out later without Tori. Are we led to believe they are holding Tori hostage and they've not been arrested? Uh, that is where the storyline goes, I believe, yeah. Um, I believe Perry, Saturn and Eddie Guerrero have a match on Nitro upcoming where Tori is in the cage and Eddie has to wrestle for the key to the cage to free Tori. This is a tad rapey. <laughs> A, a, a tad, yeah. Um, <laughs> Asia uh, is part of the revolution now, although she's not out on this show for some reason. So um, maybe that's their justification. Hey, the, there's a woman in on it for the revolution too. This can't be problematic. Yeah, yeah, because, you know, you can kidnap people and hold them for a week as long as you're the same sex. <laughs> Jesus, oh my god um, We then go into Satin and Dean Malenko Taking on Silver King and El Dandy Shane Douglas joins the commentary team A bit of a revolving door Which um, Larry Sabisco actually makes mention of Later in the night, the third uh, seat in the booth here <laughs> um, Yeah, Shane is There's a mixed job on commentary He calls Benoit an idiot For walking out of the revolution For a world title shot I don't know, that sounds like a smart move <laughs> from where I'm sitting. I'd leave this group for a title shot in a heartbeat. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, we get a DDT from Silver King and some double teaming from the Luchadors. Saturn hits a super kick and then Dean, um, we find out Dean will take on Chris Benoit on Nitro in the world title tournament. Um, we see a backbreaker, a double team backbreaker and then a top rope knee by Malenko and Saturn. Um, we... See a satin back suplex, um, a combination super combination suplex with a crossbody for a two. Um, El Dandy misses a drop kick. We get a Silver King plancher, but Dean Malenko hits a low blow and then punches with the chain before locking on the cloverleaf for the submission victory. Um, this was an okay match in my eyes. Nothing, you know, fabulous, but it was pretty decent. Yeah, brief and one-sided, but... The star of the show here was the Revolution's double team moves, um, like the the knee drop, backbreaker thing earlier, the kind of their version of demolition decapitation. That always looks immense. I, I love that. Um, yeah, their offense was very good in general. Uh, another quick quip from Shane here um, and Larry. To be fair, Shane goes, "How do you like Malenko's new attitude?" And Larry quips, "I think he broke the ice." <laughs> Oh, Zabisco. I actually, he's probably one of the pleasant surprises of this. I actually don't mind Larry Zabisco on commentary. He's pretty decent. He's fine, yeah. He's like a, he's like a less sexual Jerry Lawler at times. <laughs> well, we all need a less sexual Jerry Lawler. <laughs> I just wish it was Jerry Lawler. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> That's brilliant. <laughs> um, we get a video package of Sting being stripped of the title and the 32-man tournament being announced. Um, and then we very quick-fire see some results. So jump in if I've missed any of the results here because they are just hitting us with like two and three-second clips of each. Um, Norman Smiley has beat Bam Bam Bigelow. Saturn defeated Eddie Guerrero. Meng defeated Medusa. Lex Luger beat Rick Steiner. Billy Kidman beat Conan. Sting beat Brian Nobbs. David Flair and DDP. The winner wasn't exactly obvious to me. I, it happened, but I don't know who won. Brett beat Goldberg. Um, and I'm not sure any of the finishes were clean, was my note. Did I miss any there, Duncan? That sounds pretty complete to me. Um, if listeners want a fuller picture of that, they can head over to ayatollahrockandroller.blogspot.com and read my blog on this entire tournament. Ooh, I should probably check that out before the next episode. I'm going to do that. <laughs> yeah, I think the the page and David Flair one is deliberately unclear and that doesn't get settled for another couple of weeks. Um, that package was headed up by, I think it was Tanae that said this, this ain't your father's Nitro anymore. Nitro's been on the air for four years at this point. You're not been on long enough for there to be like a generational divide. Yeah, even if you had the child on the night of the first Nitro, they can't work the TV remote yet. Right. <laughs> um, so then we go to Gene with Harlem Heat, who cut a promo on Curly Bill, um, one of my favourite characters of all time. <laughs> the revolution leaves the arena and we go out to a commercial break. We come back and Curly Bill's with Mean Gene and he cuts a promo on Harlem Heat and Kirk Hennig, it is absolutely awful. I don't think he's being ironic. He is just terrible. I had that note too. Oh my God. <laughs> um, yeah, the, the Harlem Heat interview got cut off by Chavo yelling after Goldberg again. Um, this Curly Bill interview, fuck me. Um, so like his gimmick here is he's like a fake cowboy and he talks about having moose on the ranch and Gene corrects him. Don't you mean cattle? It's um, terrible. It's all revolving around possible dissension smellness within the West <laughs> Texas Rednecks. Um, he, he does have a rather valid point at the end. So Kirk Hennig... Um, as a current gimmick where the powers that be will force him to retire if he gets pinned at any point. And uh, Bill says, well, Henning wouldn't be in this in this amount of jeopardy if he'd have stuck by and had the rednecks in his corner, which, you know, is fair. Yeah, the only, like, I guess, pushback I've got on that is where are the rednecks to be in Curly Bill's corner tonight? Oh, that's true, yeah. Um, then we, from there, we go to Stevie Ray versus Curly Bill. So we didn't even get Booker T after all this. Um, Stevie Ray. No, 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 my friend. We get an even better substitute for that. We get Booker T on commentary. (laughs) Yeah, he's the next one into the revolving door here. Um, Stevie Ray dominates early. He hits a big boot. They brawl on the floor. We get a snap mare. We get a knee for a two. A ref bump. And then... Curly Bill nails um, Stevie Ray with the boot, but Booker T sees this, the ref's down, just gets in, spin kicks him. Um, Stevie Ray hits a slapjack, which is basically a modified pedigree, and Stevie Ray picks up the three when the referee comes to. So what did you think about this one, Duncan? So the only redeeming qualities of this match for me was seeing Virgil get his face kicked off, um, and 
unintentional comedy from Booker T on commentary. Um, I just like when when Stevie hit the big boot. Booker's like right upside his mug, and then the little antics at ringside. Did you see the cheeky slap that Booker gave Virgil? Yeah, when he was over the desk. <laughs> as as we all would like to. <laughs> and there was a period where Tanay lost his headset, so Booker covered him on play by play. We then go to our next match, which is a Filthy Animals with Rey Mysterio, who will now join the commentary booth, um, taking on the English uh, contingent of Steve uh, Steve Regal, um, Chris Adams, and David Taylor. That's right. Yeah, so it was an immediate cut after that previous match finish to the Filthy Animals arriving backstage, which is the, the like number one Russo trope on this show. And they come out just as normal. You wouldn't think, you know, one of their girlfriends and the rest of their friend has been kidnapped and held hostage. They just come out ready to wrestle. Yeah, it's Rey Mysterio's hometown too. Yeah, 619. And um, he's very over during this. It gets a bit of a chant during the, the match on commentary as well. Yeah, lots of people really over in this promo, like Conan's whole routine. Um I can't remember if we mentioned this. So the revolution was shown driving off in a rental car earlier. And uh, it's here that we find out that it was actually the filthy animals car and they nicked it. Oh, I'm, I completely missed that. I mustn't have been on the ball while I was watching this show. I must've just been enjoying it too much. Um, did... uh, it was in between the interview segments. Um, so yeah. So not only have revolution nicked, off with a member of the Filthy Animals, they've nicked off with the car too. I think charges are going to have to be filed at some point here. <laughs> I don't think um, Filthy Animals are a cop caller stable somehow. <laughs> um, just a quick note on the promo here. So we go Conan to Eddie to Ray to Billy Kidman. Is it just me or did that get worse with every passing of the microphone? I have that exact note here. Like, <laughs> end on your weakest pro. Weak- end on your weakest promo guy that's certainly a choice and it's his girlfriend that's missing and he's just bland like we'll get you you know he's got nothing here at all um it's a very sexually charged promo from the animals here (laughs) conan talks about when the filthy animals are on heat your ass is dead meat so snack on that and then eddie calls their opponents tea sipping fairies because they're english and then Ray threatens to hump the revolution. Yeah, after telling the rest of them not to swear. Right, yeah. <laughs> so strange. Um, the, the, like, say what you will about Hulk Hogan, but he always knew that if I'm going to pass the mic to like Tito Santana, I'm getting it back to put the last word in. <laughs> well, I mean, you can't end, you're not going to end on the classic line, Ariba. <laughs> you are definitely not. Um, Ray's next in the revolving door on guest commentary and um, it's a really weird exchange about Tori here he acknowledges that like yeah we know Tori's Kidman's girl but we all respect her but anyway it's all good between us and uh, was I the only one that thought are they like a polycule or something are they like sharing Tori Wilson around (laughs) well I (laughs) <laughs> there's there's so many jokes to be made with her currently being held captive by another faction and i'm just not gonna go there <laughs> yeah let's not um we have a quick start between eddie guerrero and dave taylor um conan hits his rolling lariat which i always loved in a ddt we get a nice hot shot from regal and some good knees and a, and a couple of uppercuts um 
the British contingent are quite smooth in this match. Um, Eddie cleans house. We get a bit of a six-man brawl, a suplex from Eddie, and then a frog splash for the one, two, three. Again, probably a bit short considering there were six competitors in it, but but I really enjoyed this. Yeah, a bit rushed. I know you enjoyed the British lads, but Eddie was the best thing going in this match for me, especially his hot tag. Um, more genius from Ray on the mic. He... <laughs> He's got a knee injury, and he claims it's only going to keep him out for two weeks. Yeah, yeah, I heard that. It's like, well, why even report on that? That's just you're in a promo instead of a match on one show. Fast forward about 10 years, and he'll be in the don't try this at home. Like, I've had surgery five times in my left knee. <laughs> Didn't even make note of that. That's funny. And he also slipped in, filthy animals always come on top. Yeah, like Ray's the biggest gutter mouth of the bunch. I know. <laughs> oh, man. Well, you know, we then go to Mean Gene. Um, oh, sorry. No, we don't. We go to Chavo Guerrero, um, who's on the phone backstage telling someone that he's getting himself over. You're really not, Chavo. You'll be <laughs> nameless WCW wrestler in a skybox as your next big important thing that I know of. <laughs> Yeah, he's like, this is classic. I just keep yelling Goldberg and I'm on TV four times already. <laughs> so bad. Uh, we, speaking of so bad, we go to Gene with Berlin. Oh, this is just terrible. Uh, I, You know what? I've got this irrational, like, annoyance with Berlin, like, now being this anti-American, like, German militant character and he spells Berlin wrong. Oh, f- fuck me. Right. Both ends of this promo are disgustingly terrible here. Gene's going in with the, if you don't like America, you can just get out <laughs> line of questioning. And then Berlin goes like, ah, well for once, I'm going to lower myself to speak English. And then he does a shit job at speaking English. It's just awful all round. Like, maybe he was deliberately trying to do a shit job to like, I don't know, um, add to the xenophobia or something, but he was just not good in this. Not at all. And then speaking of things I have an irrational hatred of, um, Chavo Guerrero finally gets his match time, but he takes on one of my least favourite um, of the podcast in this timeline. It's Lash LaRue. Oh, dear. <laughs> um, um, oh, yeah. Um, he cuts a promo at the start of this because he's in the world title tourney too, and he brags about how he's going to beat the cat in it and let the good times roll because, you know, Norlands. And I just, the whole time he was speaking, I just couldn't stop picturing um, Cletus off The Simpsons. Some folk will never eat as good, but then again, some folk will like Cletus, the slack-jawed yokel. Hey, what's going on on this side? Oh, dear. <laughs> <laughs> He's just he's just got his accent. I, I've never gotten over the first time I heard him talk and it was the Cajun sensation sweeping the nation. And just every time he comes out, I'll just keep saying that to myself now. Hey, Ma, I got a wrestling match. <laughs> That's exactly how it is with his stupid fucking LL sideburns. Oh, God. Oh, my God. For a show I enjoyed, it also filled me with a lot of hatred this time around. I don't know why. (laughs) (laughs) He hits a nice slam. Um, He can go in the ring, at least. Chavo with a nice runner and a back suplex for a two. 
um, Lash LaRue with a backbreaker for a two. The crowd are really dead during this, though. Um, I think Lash LaRue's push is pretty much grinding to a screeching halt here. I don't think I was the only one that just get, had get-off-my-TV heat for him. Um, sorry, you jumped Lots. right in. Lots of things screeching to a halt here. Like, there's one point where Lash is really confused looking in this match, and then unsurprisingly, his next move is grab a chin lock and have a chat with Chavo. Yeah, not good. Chavo with a drop kick and then a back elbow for a two. Lash LaRue hits a modified Death Valley driver to pick up the one, two, three. Um, it had a couple of good spots, but like you said, clunky, and I think Lash LaRue's push is definitely coming to an end now. Yeah. Way too sloppy. Lash is too green and not tenured enough, and Chavo is not in the position to be like a kind of ring general for this match either. Um, Chavo at one point he so there's like a body press into a drop kick counter, and Eddie used it in the previous match, and Chavo used the same thing, but it just didn't look as good as Eddie's whatsoever. Um, and yeah, as you mentioned that crowd weren't really into Lash. They seemed to be just as much into Chavo. And at one point, Lash does a face-raking spot. You're supposed to be the face. Does he think that as the baby face, he should attack the face? <laughs> Who knows what he thinks. Oh, my God. We then go to Billy Kidman spying on Riggs and Buff Bagwell with Kidman Cam. Um, this was just stupid it's like gtv but like you can clearly see kidman holding the camera but then you can see what he's filming as well like it's just it's just dumb that warner investment is really paying off here that's the at the cutting edge of technology i'd love to as well be like you know if i'm tory wilson and i'm held hostage and then i get out and i'm like oh you know my man probably fought for me and tried to get me back. Let's put in the tape and see what happened on Thunder. Oh, he was just playing around with a video camera, spying on Buff Bagwell. He really didn't give a shit that I was being held hostage. Well, yeah, it was probably like, oh, God, no, I really need to save my girlfriend, but oh, shit, American Males Reunion. <laughs> oh, my God. We then see the cat get out of a limo with three well-dressed girls that get Larry Zabisco and Mike Tanay a little hot under the collar um, as we go out to our next break. From there, we come back and it's our next match, Berlin taking on Jerry Flynn. Um, Jerry Flynn comes out with Jimmy Hart. Um, Jimmy Hart, by the way, has been managing since WrestleMania 1 that I've seen. I know he managed well before Whoa. that, but he's been on mainstream TV since WrestleMania 1, and this is 1999. It, that's just incredible. Um, 15 years later, and he's the only thing that's really changed in that time is he can't be asked bringing the megaphone to ringside anymore. Oh, I missed that. Um, I thought Jerry Flynn, his nickname, Lightning Foot, was pretty interesting. <laughs> Um, Berlin comes out with his bodyguard, the wall, I think he's called, but I just have a note here. Do you remember like the, the, that episode of raw, the ultimate warrior appeared on sadly before he passed away, but in the suit with the gray hair, um, he, Berlin's bodyguard looks like if that day, that ultimate warrior mixed with big popper pump, Scott Steiner. Oh, oh, I could kind of see that. Yeah. You say he's a wall. He's, he's yet to be named at this point, but. We all know him as the wall. That's the wall, brother! <laughs> yeah, I think that is just stuck in my head. So every time I see him, it just... Yeah. <laughs> I didn't realise I'd not named him yet because that's so ingrained in my psyche. Yeah, exactly. Did you hear... Holy shit, massive news here. At the start of this, Tanae was plugging the filming of Ready to Rumble. Oh, I missed that. 
Ah, yeah. So he was offering the um, fans a chance to be extras at the taping. Um, and they'd get free parking, free food and beverages and prize, draw- and prize draws, including the chance to win a Chevy pickup truck. Oh, I would have loved to have been an extra in Ready to Rumble. Yeah, look, you've been part of wrestling history. You might have a pickup truck, free booze and drink and free parking. Like, what a... This is like last Nitro ever on Panama Beach at Spring Break level of deal here. Yeah, just get a beer with DDP, have a hot dog, maybe get caught on camera in one of the greatest wrestling films of all time. <laughs> the last part was slightly less serious. <laughs> <laughs> we have a, um, a slam from Berlin, a leg sweep from Flynn, a sidekick and a spin kick. Jimmy Hart um, tries to cheat, but he's decked by the big bodyguard who nails G- Jerry Flynn with a punch. And because he's not in the match, the punch is now deadly enough to pick up the one, two, three. What the fuck? <laughs> this is the um, backstage promo attack level of logic here. Like, oh, it's devastating because it's a backstage promo. Because here it's outside interference. It's like, oh, this is devastating. This is like a Survivor Series 1989, like, first pin of the match type finish. <laughs> Brilliant. Um, I thought there were some flashes of interesting stuff from Flynn in this match. He had, like, a shoot-style headlock takeover, and then he did that awesome arm ringer into the roundhouse crescent kick, like you see in all the video games. Um, and commentary were also pretty transfixed by his red shoes, too. I didn't. I actually didn't mind Jerry Flynn in this. He was definitely better than Berlin. Um, but yeah, the the finish just fell really flat. Oh, for sure. Yeah, you have a heel versus heel dynamic. Didn't make any sense. And Berlin, like you say, was very plain. Chavo Guerrero is once again looking for Goldberg, but he gets his comeuppance as Sid finds him and just decks him as we go to a commercial. <laughs> Did you catch the cut of Sid's outfit here? No, I can't say I paid any attention to it. He was in like some kind of like I don't know like open baseball jersey or something, and then he had like red bicycle shorts on. I how did I not notice that? Jesus, it did it. It's just like it's you're basically already almost wearing wrestling gear, and you're gonna have to change out of that into your wrestling gear. It just like I can't believe that he goes around walking like that backstage. I think maybe it's the next episode of SmackDown where The Rock shows up in, like, a vest. And it just occurred to me, are wrestlers the only people on the planet that wear, like, vests without any, like, without wearing a suit that just wear an unbuttoned vest? Like, have you ever seen anyone that's not a wrestler wear that? Um, not shirtless, at least. <laughs> it's just it's the weirdest attire choice ever. Um <laughs> Anyway, Cat comes out, but because we're watching on the WWE Network, we get the fucking worst dub of his music ever. It is terrible. Jesus Christ. Um, this arena, um, so it's a pretty squat and short arena, and there's a bunch of empty seats, but it is obviously very cold as well. Oh, um, are you referring to what I think you might be referring to? I am referring to Cat's Entourage, yeah. <laughs> Somebody call my mama. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Um, he says he's going to win the tournament, um, and then we see Buff walking backstage. Oh, this is such a sexually charged show, I didn't realise when watching it. <laughs> it's... Fucking standards and practices have really fucked up here. They're like, <laughs> don't be horny. Don't be inappropriately sexual. And they're like, 
Willow. <laughs> and a few of the animals come out and realize they've lost the one girl in the group, so they're desperate to hump their opponents. It's gone, <laughs> oh, it's gone downhill since then. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, we see Jean with Benoit. And I. this is the first time I've ever come across this, Duncan. Have you ever seen it before? Like, I know they always... It's like, say, if you go to Royal Rumble 2001 and it's Jericho versus Benoit, it'll be like Chris Jericho in singles competition. But I've never seen Mean Gene conducts an interview and because it's Benoit and Gene, the thumbnail is blacked out. Have you ever seen that before? I missed that, no. Yeah, so if you go to, like, the what's on this episode part, you know, where you can, like, scene selection... They've actually blacked out the picture, so you can't see who Gene is with. That's um, a new level of censorship on Benoit that I haven't noticed before. Oh, okay, so you can still skip to this section. It's just they can't reveal what this section is because Benoit's in it. Exactly, yeah. Wow, I just wouldn't have that as like a, a, a shortcut or anything. No, you just skip past it and not have that chapter. You're right. Like, it's so weird. Yeah. Wow, that is weird. Um, Benoit calls Sid disillusional going over his streak um and yeah yet another tripping all over your words promo here yeah not the best um i i've got it's 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 okay but it's not like there's no he's just got no charisma on the microphone like that's the long and the short of it i think he comes across he's coming across more credible but it's probably just because he's in with tip-top guys now as opposed to you know fighting with whoever you know whoever the fourth string opponent of the four horsemen were you know on my raw raw nitro timeline fucking Brian Nobbs like we had earlier in this timeline. (laughs) Um, I think it's no coincidence that they, um, now that the writers from New York are over, they're um, cutting and shooting these backstage promos like WWF backstage promos and everybody is fumbling in them as opposed to how you know, the old style WCW promos is where like Mean Gene's there and he leads them in and he has more time to kind of guide them through and settle them in and, and get some draw some stuff out of them. Yeah, definitely. We then see a recap of the Buff Bagwell shoot promo from Nitro, which I'll splice in here. Ring had some problems as of late with the new creative team, the new powers that be in WCW, and they all started two weeks ago on Nitro in a matchup against La Parca. I'm not doing a J-O-B job for nobody ever again. I'm not laying down for nobody anymore. From now on, you mess with Buff, and you get the stuff. Nobody's telling me what to do ever again, especially the two idiots in the back writing this crap. Let me introduce myself. We represent the two idiots in the back that write this crap. And... (laughs) You don't get it, do you? And we go to Buff Bagwell taking on his former American male partner, Scotty Riggs. And I did not realize when they were caught on Kidman Cam chatting earlier in the show that they were opponents on this episode. And yeah, this really just wound me up good and proper here like i don't want to watch a wrestling show and be shown that they're actors playing a part before they go to the ring 
Mm, yeah, yeah. Um, so like you mentioned that they show clips of Buff's promo from Nitro, and like there's lots of in this conversation. There's lots of talk of the powers that be writing stuff, and I have a massive issue with that kind of language. Like, what? No. Well, I've got a note here early in the match actually that the commentary team are sort of like it's obvious what they've been told is the story and the direction, but they're trying to. They're trying their best to cover it, if that makes sense. Like, they're saying, you know, I think it was Jeff Jarrett being the chosen one, and Larry Zabisco, I, I think, said to Tanae, like, what does the chosen one mean? And he said, like, the powers that can be, the creative team, they can give you better opportunities, but ultimately you've got to go into the ring and win the match. And it's like, yeah, like, good luck, guys, because I don't think the guys riding this give a shit to make that part stick. Right, yeah, I, I had that as well. I thought Tanae was kind of all right covering, like, oh, they're just going to look out for him and, like, book him in the best opportunities and stuff. And then Larry just goes and calls the concept of the Chosen One robotized sheep again. Yeah, and then, unfortunately, for all their good work, trying to redeem some sort of credibility for the show, um, Bagwell and Riggs exchange holds, and Buff is just visibly bored during the match. We get a drop kick from Riggs, and then it works over the leg, Bag Bell, uh, Bag Bell, Bag Well with a clothesline, a uh, pair of them, in fact. Um, Riggs hits a crossbody for a two. Buff pops up and the referee gets mad at him for kicking out. He then locks in a small package and the referee hesitates, doesn't want to count the three, but because he's got him pinned down, does. There's no music because obviously Buff wasn't meant to be the winner and this is just a pile of shit. Exposing the business. Like, this whole thing, like, it's the age-old argument about, like, you know wrestling's fake, right? You're like, yes, I know. Just like I know Terminator's fake, but I don't want Arnold Schwarzenegger to stop in the middle of the show and go, this is where, and I don't know her name, the actress that played Sarah Connor was running and having to look scared. But because the sun was coming over, we had to improvise, and that's how I came up with my famous shades that appeared on all the movie posters. Like, I don't want to hear that shit. Like, I just want to suspend my disbelief and watch the show. It's absolutely shit, isn't it? Yeah. Like, this is no Deadpool or She-Hulk. This is just categorically like, oh, he hit a shoot package pile driver because a couple of thousand people on the internet might enjoy this. And I just have never met the person that said I really loved Russo era WCW. No, no, I don't think he will. Um, it, it, it's just flat out sucked. The only thing that I enjoyed um, in that video package earlier, there was a massive dirty cane bump that Buff cut um, when he got given that double gorilla press from Creative Control. And um, when Scott is working over the knee, he gives Buff's knee a little noogie while he's trapped in the leg lock. Oh, God, it is terrible. Do you think, like not to harp on this and we'll move on after this, but do you think Vince Russo, when he sits there on Twitter these days and he criticizes any wrestling product in the world has ever had the nerve to go back and watch this shit and explain why talking about the writers and the creative team and how wrestling's fake sure did make sense, bro. Like the dude is the biggest fucking hypocrite on the planet. Precisely. Yeah. Um, I don't think he's a kind of go back and watch stuff kind of guy. He just has like a, a, a kind of rose-tinted memory about how, you know, the kind of positions he was in in his career rather than the actual execution of what he was getting through when he was in those positions. Fair. We then go to our main event of Chris Benoit taking on Sid. 
Um, we see footage of Benoit beating Dean Malenko uh, twice, once in a match and then once in a last man standing match. Um, Benoit wins, and it's got me kind of excited for um, this Sid match, but also the Dean Malenko match for the title coming up as well. So if anything, like, it's it's so hard to talk about Benoit this day and age, and especially about being excited for where his character's going. I do not, like, I'm totally fine with anyone that says, like, he sh- his memory should be erased. No, he shouldn't be in the Hall of Fame. Anyone that says that is a, is a fucking idiot. Um, but, like, ha- having to watch the shows, like, I-, I try and be objective, and I think they were doing a good job here of building Benoit up and leveling him up. Like, you should just leave it for, like, history to judge, basically. I don't think you should, like, coddle people away from it. You definitely shouldn't promote him as this really worthwhile figure in the industry after what he's done. Um, but, yeah, like you, you should make it available so that people can understand the context of it. Um, certainly, I don't have a lot of issues um, like watching Benoit in terms of like the content and stuff. There's sometimes some really nasty bumps that get your brain going. But, um, yeah, um, I, I would not encourage anyone... Um, to go down that route of but no he's so underrated and stuff and just like look he did something so drastically awful out of the context of the wrestling industry that you kind of can't really judge him and his body of work in the wrestling industry in that way anymore yeah, I mean it's it's same to like I, I it's not the same, but I compare it to the fact that like I will still in my car listen to, you know, a couple of R. Kelly songs because they're some of my all-time favorites. No, I don't want to, you know, go and tell everyone why he's been hard done by. No, I don't want to defend him because, you know, he's done a lot of awful things. But I think, you know, the entertainment aspect, of, like the, the content that's already there, I'm going to use it for its intended purpose. Do I want new content created from people like this? Absolutely not. But I think, like, you can't take away every movie and song because someone did something bad that you find out about years ago. Like, it's just not possible. So just don't celebrate them any further. But the work that's there, we're going to discuss it because that's what we do. Yeah, you, if you've lived through it, you can't really fully escape those memories of the, the enjoyment that you gain from it. Um, it's funny you mentioned R. Kelly. I was at my mate, his son just turned one and um, had a big birthday party for him. And the DJ played Happy People. I'm like... Ooh, <laughs> risky move. <laughs> oh my God, I love it. <laughs> I kind of, there is, this, there is this thing in the back of my mind, like I typically will play something like that on a car ride. Like I, I do a lot of driving for work. So, you know, I'll, I'll alternate between podcasts and music each day as to what I think is going to best keep me awake on the road because I do a lot of long drives. And yeah, there's always that feeling like, oh, I hope I don't like pull up at the light and somebody judges me for listening to this. <laughs> <laughs> but well, we're familiar with that feeling as wrestling fans. Like yeah. at any moment in time, the worst segment in history could come on, and that is when your better half walks in and is like, um, "What are you watching here? Oh, it's just wrestling." And it's like, "Hot lesbian action? What?" <laughs> I knew you were gonna say that. That was the thing that immediately went to my mind. It'll be HLA, and yep, there it was. <laughs> oh my god. Um, as we start here, Sid is so much bigger than Benoit. Um, I think Sid's like in that Billy Gunn category where you just don't really understand how massive this man was. 
Yeah, for sure. He got paired with a lot of guys just a little bit taller than him, and it was just enough to for you to realise, oh my god, this guy was actually a monster if you like step him away from those guys. Because, yeah, this is 99 Benoit, where he's, you know obviously hitting the gas to go into the WWF and like you know not fade in comparison and not be treated like a cruiserweight so he's big he's packed on too much muscle already and Sid makes him look like a tiny man yeah um another lad in that category is Billy Gunn and at one point Sid hits a cobra clutch slam yes he does (laughs) maybe a little fuck you thrown in there (laughs) um in the match, we got a missile drop kick from Benoit for a two, a drop kick to the knee and working over the leg, which was clever. Um, they brawl on the outside, and then we get the, the Cobra Clutch slam that you mentioned, a big boot and a camel clutch, and a backbreaker before Benoit hits a German on Sid, which is quite impressive, but misses his top rope headbutt. But in a piece of wrestling logic, Benoit dives off the top rope face first to the mat, but still gets up before Sid and locks in a cross face. Yeah, it doesn't make a lot of sense, really. He could roll out the way of the headbutt, but he couldn't avoid the crossface. That's just, yeah. Anyway, wrestling logic. Um, Before we can get a a definitive decision here, Malenko and Saturn run out and save Sid, who thanks them very much with a powerbomb apiece, and then powerbombs Benoit. The three of them roll to the floor, and the filthy animals come out and they brawl, so they don't really sell the power bombs they've just received at all. Um, compare that to the punch that put down Jerry Flynn earlier, and you've got a couple of opposite ends of the selling spectrum here. Yeah, big classic thunder. We're out of time! Finish here. Yeah, so it, this was... Uh, like Obviously, we'll judge them both at the end, but um, this was probably the best thunder we've watched on this timeline, and I don't think it's close in my mind. So are you on the same boat, or did you enjoy this a bit less than I did? So it's very, very messy, but at least there's interesting stuff going on. Um, like going back to this main event specifically, so I'm not sure if we'll see this Sue Wrestle again uh, on this timeline, but this is essentially the same match that they'd have together all the time. Um, lots of Sid control, it's neither here or there. And a surprising amount of Benoit's hope spots came from brawling rather than more logical stuff like the the German that we finally got where he's like actually using leverage. Um, so yeah, you know, rushed finish as per usual for a Thunder main event. It's a bit higher quality than some of the other stuff we got. Um, the running and the cross face after missing the headbutt is a bit of a meh. Um, but yeah, circling back to our conversation at the start of reviewing this show, it's just nice to have some star power on the show really absolutely um, yeah um lots of stuff like running themes going on like um animals and the revolutions rivalry um and charvo just being a prick backstage all the time it, it added like a, a bit of flow to things so it was a slightly easier watch and um yeah, just don't put the gambler on my TV anytime soon. <laughs> my show's enough. Oh my god. Are you ready to go to halftime, Duncan? Uh, yeah, let's do it. Random Steve, random Steve fills out any match card. Random Steve, random Steve fills out any match card. 
Today's halftime is actually brought to you by random Steve Blackman. He fills out our halftime. Yes! <laughs> because in a little uh, thing I've been doing recently, um, I've been reading some magazine articles, and this one comes from the April 1998 edition of WWF Magazine. The cover features Stone Cold, Shawn Michaels, and Mike Tyson, and it's rookies to legends, Steve Blackman. Are you ready for this? Holy shit, yes, please. <laughs> All right, so the article goes, Just a few weeks before the 1997 Survivor Series, Team USA was at a severe disadvantage going into the November pay-per-view against Team Canada. Not only were Vader, Goldust, and Mark Miro far from a cohesive unit, but they were also lacking a fourth member to round out the squad due to an injury suffered by the Patriot. Amid the chaos which plagued America's side, newcomer Steve Blackman stepped in and filled that vacancy on Rory's War. Following a dog collar match that resulted in members of Team Canada viciously mauling Vader, the then-unknown competitor cleared the ringside barrier, a move for which he was later detained by authorities, and unleashed a flurry of thrust kicks on the Colorado natives' attackers. Within seconds, the pack of wolves were sent scurrying, and thanks to Blackman, Vader escaped serious injury. Just a few hours later, it was announced that the Mastodon would grant this third-degree black belt a spot on Team USA at Survivor Series. The following weekend, Blackman and Vader appeared to be the only supporting cast of the American movement, as Miro and most notably Goldust had uh, serious attitude problems. Unfortunately, the... Anvil, Pennsylvania native, was the first to be eliminated from the match due to a count-out, leaving the mighty Mastodon at odds with gold dust and a subsequent team breakdown. The Americans would ultimately lose the match, but Blackman had his first taste of what it would take to make it in the WWF. During his second bout on the December 15th episode of Raw, fans were able to get a better look at the athletic prowess of the newcomer as he took on Jose Castillo of Los Bariquas. The Latino faction attempted to intimidate their foe prior to the contest, but years of discipline helped Blackman to remain focused on the task at hand. After wearing down Castillo's back with his martial arts techniques, this rookie got the win with a powerful German suplex. After an impressive start in the Federation, wrestling pundits are already comparing this chiseled athlete to the likes of Ken Shamrock. Jim Ross would later comment on Raw that the newcomer would undoubtedly excel in the ultimate fighting world if given the opportunity, thanks in part to his growing arsenal of offensive weapons and the intensive training he undergoes at the Martial Arts Academy. He owns and runs in his hometown. Blackman is gaining a reputation as a genuine lethal weapon in the WWF. Phenomenal. Yes. (laughs) I thought you'd like that one. I spotted it and I was like, yes, this has got to go on a show when I'm with Duncan. Oh, amazing. I miss the kind of like kayfabeness of these magazines. Like, um, there's an interview with Scott Steiner just after he debuted Survivor Series and he'd try and claim like, oh, he would try and claim, oh yeah, I wasn't in the invasion because I was in the NWO, so that wasn't any of my business. Like That's blatantly factually incorrect, but go ahead. <laughs> oh my goodness, and he didn't come in with the NWO. <laughs> he did not. Oh. <laughs> there was also, um, they, were, uh, they were interviewing Booker T with like some like quick takes on some of the other wrestlers, and he called Rob Van Damme a surfer bum, and I didn't quite understand it, like... I didn't know that Bum was in like a you know a, a layabout and stuff. I thought he was just saying that he had a big ass or something. <laughs> That's brilliant. <laughs> oh my god, I love it. These magazines are uh, they're definitely making making me smile at the moment while I collect the ones that I want to frame and put on the wall. But I'm enjoying just pinching a few articles for this as I go along. 
So I still think I have the Undertaker Special Edition magazine from oh, 2003. It had a really, really long retrospective of his career so far, and it had a very revealing interview with him, like actual legitimate interview, other than, rather than um, these pretend kayfabe ones, where um, they were talking to him. He was still Biker Taker then, and he was like, do you ever think about going back to the Dead Man gimmick? And he was like, Oh, I don't know. Maybe something drastic will happen in The Undertaker and I can go back there. And then, like, fast forward a few months and he was in the Buried Alive match at Survivor Series and got buried alive. And I knew what was coming and I was so excited. Oh, my God, that's brilliant. I um, I don't think by that point I was still buying any of the magazines. I think um, I was well and truly getting my news online by 2003. But that's a shame. I would have liked to have read that. That was just at the point where I was stopping. Um, I think the last mainline issue of uh, WWE magazine back then that I got was um, when they were first interviewing Rock when he was doing the Hollywood Rock gimmick. Like, he'd just come back to face Hogan again. And um, it's talking about his frustration with the fans and people booing him against Lesnar and things like that. Um, shortly after that, they split off into, like, the the... Raw and SmackDown magazines, like fully going into the brand extension, and I just didn't seem worth it anymore. Yeah, definitely. I think the latest one I can remember having there was an episode of Raw magazine where it was the Undertaker and Andre the Giant both on the cover. I, I know I had that one, and I can't remember having anything after that. And I know, like from looking over covers to decide which ones I wanted to buy, I was really upset that I wasn't buying them by the time there was a, a SmackDown version with John Cena and Method Man on the front cover. Oh, I forgot that happened, yeah. In fact, I think I might buy that and frame it. (laughs) Nice. All right, heading into SmackDown now. Open with Michael Cole and Jerry Lawler um, talking. Cole talking about DX reforming on Monday. Um, DX come out and it's the usual Triple H promo, followed by X Pac on the mic promising a new member. Billy Gunn challenges Austin, um, and he has the line of the night where he says, "I'm going to get all my boys to sit front row so they can get a bird's eye view." Um, that is not a bird's eye view, Billy Gunn. I'm very sorry to say. <laughs> <laughs> And then the road. Hey, there's a reason he's called Daddy Ass and not Daddy Brain. <laughs> oh my God, is he enjoying the the career revitalization of the decade or what? As a, it's a phenomenal thing. Like you don't think he could have like really added that much to the angle, but like he's just so incredible. I know, like, and I legitimately love the acclaimed. Like, I've said this on the podcast a few times now. Um, I that's the only like piece of wrestling I go and seek out online every single week is their entrances. Um, but Billy Gunn, like, with them, the whole storyline had its logical conclusion where he turned on them to join his sons, and then leaving his sons to go back has just been madness. It's crazy. Yeah, um, we were talking about the acclaimed a couple of episodes ago, and I was like. 
you know, they've probably got a big baby face running them, and now here they are having their big baby face running. It's fucking events. It's glorious. Them and Sami Zayn are probably the two most overacts in wrestling right now. Oh, definitely, yeah. Um, Sammy's just great. I was watching him on Austin's Broken School Sessions the other day. That's a phenomenal interview. Yeah. I encourage you to check, check that out. Um, focusing on back to Daddy Ass for a minute. Um, when they get in the ring and they're about to do the posing and stuff, he tries to sneak a look at Hunter's championship before he did the water spit pose, but he got totally blanked. I didn't see that. There you go. Good eye. Um, bird's eye view from Duncan. <laughs> Very good. Um, DX are pretty over for heels, you know? Yeah, definitely. Um, and they, they treated like here at the start, like they were all important. Road Dog challenging Rock as well, which we didn't mention. He cuts a scathing promo on him. I'm actually going to splice a bit of Road Dog's promo in here because it's so relevant that we found out years later that the Road Dog and the Rock legitimately hated each other. Gonna kick his now. Since that A double crooked letter got you all in such a jovial mood, let me lay a little smack down for you. Uh oh. Rock, the other night I left you in a puddle of your own talentless puke. So tonight, it wants you to bring the people's ball. Right down the people's ramp, step in to the doghouse, and I've got but one fear. You see, I know how much you like shining things up and sticking them up people's ass, and I know you know how I do my finish, and I'm afraid you just might like it when I flatten you of your back. Uno, dos, trace. The Road Dog has challenged The Rock. Oh, wow. I did not realize that. Yeah, apparently The Road Dog just never, ever warmed to The Rock, and it was obvious, and they never got along. I, I, it must have been on one of his podcasts, The Road Dog talked about this, and then it, 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 somehow, some way, I read about The Rock saying that they just never got on and had nothing to do with one another, and he doesn't think about it. So, yeah, like they were legitimately not, not, well, not, not friends at all. Well, Rock didn't try to help me. I was just really mean to him because I was jealous of him and I was, and he was a threat to me uh, because he could do everything I could do, but he looked friggin' great too. You know what I mean? And it was like, yeah. oh, son of a beast, you got everything. Uh, and, and at that point in my life, that bothered me. I was afraid of that. He, like I said, he was a threat to me. So I treated him horrible in front of everybody all the time. And, and, and I went to him and he said, thank you. That's nice of you to say. I don't know if he forgives me. That's none of my business, but I had to do it to clean up my side of the street, as we say. I should not be surprised given some of his uh, opinions outside of wrestling that have come to light. Mm. Um, for someone who basically stole black culture to get over, he's very conservative, right. isn't he? Right, exactly. Um, lots of prescient content in this promo here given what's currently going on in wrestling um triple h calling himself the ceo of dx yes and then um oh really weird line cole goes dx is feeling its oats yeah, speaking of lines, did you find the whole triple h were taking over to be like a complete ripoff of the nwo 
a complete BWO ripoff at this rate, I think. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that was probably the cadence I said it with right there a lot more. <laughs> I was more Stevie Richards than Kevin Nash, that's for sure. <laughs> um, who comes out next, Lee? Who comes out next is Vince McMahon, and they tell him they're in charge, to which he disagrees. His services are no longer needed. Take a hike because you're finished. It only took another uh, 23 years. <laughs> yeah, by the same man. So Triple H foreshadowing like crazy here. Uh, we then go backstage. We see Edge and Christian walking and we go to our JVC Kaboom box. Um, uh, sorry, Kaboom of the week. And it is um, Shane McMahon diving off a cage onto the Mean Street Posse. Um, he was basically, um, Test was in a, a match against a Bulldog. Um, yeah, and he then we see Test and Stephanie, sorry, walking backstage afterwards and they hug the Stooges as they come into the arena. Yeah, so Stephanie's finally starting to get her memory back after Bulldog's Where's my title shot incident? Still potentially the greatest moment of the podcast seeing that. <laughs> um, the, the JVC Kaboom of the week had the most 90s Microsoft Word art uh, logo imaginable. Oh, some of these ads are very dated now when we go back, aren't they? Totally. Actually, big shout out to my, my good friend Mark. When he was over in Australia, oh, good 15 years ago, maybe now, we um we got some, like, burnt DVDs back on, like, the tape trading days of, like, 1991 superstars of wrestling and just started watching them, like, one after the other. And some of the commercials on there were just to die for. But the the Wendy's 99-cent menu was something we, we definitely fell in love with back then, 15 years ago, but still a good 10, 15 years after it was actually a thing. Wow. So um, in about four or five episodes time we'll be doing vengeance 2001 on the tape trader diaries and i still have that recording from when it was shown on channel four so um with that episode my intent is fully going to be to watch that show and all the adverts that were on it and um report back on any interesting adverts that i find that shows an interesting uh one for me actually i should probably write in but um that was the last show i i moved out of home when i was in high school and got like some government assistance and worked part-time at kfc to, to pay my own way in the world and um basically like would order like that was what i spent my my the little bit of spare money i had after you know paying for all my own bills was to order the wrestling pay-per-view every month and vengeance was the last one before school year ended and i no longer qualified for study assistance and had to go and find a job and move house and change setup so it was a few months before i got back into that rhythm again oh man yeah good times um, <laughs> from there we go to Edge of Christian taking on Too Cool, the Too Cool debut on the podcast here. Um, and the Hollies are on commentary as well. We see the debut of Too Cool on Raw during a run-in. They're not too much anymore. They are too cool. But for anyone that's not aware or familiar with their this the start of this run, they are heels at this point in time. Yeah, it's weird hearing them get so little reaction here. Um, so they cost Edge and Christian the tag titles, which is what... Um, cause this match um king on commentary was funny so i know one of them scott taylor but i don't recognize the other one <laughs> king lent into that so hard <laughs> um oh i caught kyle in the audience here lee what 
there was a lad holding a sign that said Triple H, a real icon. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> oh my god. Um that's that's hilarious. We we have a double Russian leg sweep from Edge and then a double hip toss from Edge and Christian. We get a Scott Staler hot hot shot and then a worm in its early form. It's a bit like seeing The Rock dropping an elbow in like January 1998 here, seeing Scotty do the worm. Exactly what I had in mind of here, yeah. Um, again, so little reaction. And did you hear Michael Cole getting snarky about it on commentary? Um, yeah, really. Like, I mean, again, like that probably reminds me of Jim Ross talking about the Rock's elbow. <laughs> it's like that one went out about five years ago. I don't think Michael Cole could do the worm in '94. To be fair, <laughs> probably not. Um, he could certainly do the NSYNC Frosted Tips uh, haircut in 2001, though. <laughs> he is synonymous with it. In fact, my daughter, my youngest daughter, was watching Teen Titans today, and I, you know, I'll just be doing housework or floating around in the background, and I'll hear bits of it. And they were talking about one of the characters having frosted tips, and straight away I just went, Michael Cole. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, we get a lovely sunset flip powerbomb to the floor from Brian Christopher and then a double team powerbomb from Too Cool. Um, they double team on Christian for a while before he hits a re- uh, tornado reverse DDT and then a I called it a warm tag to Edge who doesn't get a huge reaction himself. Comes in and cleans house, um, hits a spear um, before crash um comes in and nails edge with the scales allowing the heels to pick up the one two three and then they four on two beat down of the faces until some referees come out and separate them what an upset eh? yeah too cool beating edge and christian i didn't see that one coming but when i loaded up this episode so uh i thought there was some really solid stuff in here um seemed too cool in this early kind of embryonic phase is fascinating the only thing that let it down was Christian at the end seemingly shrugging off all these pretty devastating and cool looking moves from Too Cool yeah absolutely and I think it bodes well for them in the future but yeah they're um, comedy heels at, at this early stages of their run yeah I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing how this evolves because they were just flat out baby faces when I started watching we then see the boss man smashing the Big Show's daddy's watch, and we have JR with the Big Show, who says he's going to leave the arena to avoid doing something he'll regret. Um, we have uh, Mark Henry. We see a couple of girls go out of his locker room and a couple of new ones come in. Um, it, it's implied basically what you think when I said that sentence, so I'll, I'll leave that one alone. That's Mark Henry and his towel, and only his towel, by the way. Yep. Um, and then we go to Chris Jericho taking on Stevie Richards. Um, Jericho on, uh, cuts a promo and he says that Stevie challenged him. And we see some early signs of the Jericho catchphrases during this promo as well. And then Stevie Richards comes out. And yes, this is the era of Stevie where he's dressing up as more popular superstars. And this time he comes out as China. Yeah, the, the never, ever uh, phrases already pretty over. Did you catch at the start of this, Lee? I sponsored SmackDown! No, I missed that. <laughs> SmackDown was brought to you by Duncan's new hardcore line of yo-yos. How did I miss that? That's brilliant. <laughs> you, I bet you were watching this in your new pants looking fantastic. 
<laughs> yes, I was. Oh, I was so happy to get those. <laughs> that is just. I saw that on, on on Twitter the other day, and I'm like, that is fucking phenomenal. <laughs> <laughs> I got it. Um, they only delivered to America, so I got it delivered to my sister-in-law's house, and um, they were there when we got to Michigan. I'm like, yes. Oh my god, that is brilliant. So good. Um, um, on Stevie's outfit, talking about people's pants here now, um, did you notice the cutout on the back? I did, yep. And um, very noticeable tan lines from Stevie too because of it. <laughs> I know he had horrible tan lines. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Jericho jumps him early and knocks the wig off him and kicks the stuffing out of his bra quite literally. Um, <laughs> China and the cat come out and they nail Jericho with the belt, allowing Stevie Richards to hit a sunset flip and pick up the one, two, three on Jericho. Um, China then nails Stevie herself and leaves. Um, before... Jericho hits a double power bomb and leaves Stevie Richards laying to leave at least with a little bit of his heat. But um, the booking of Jericho here, not phenomenal um, early on. There's definitely some bloom off the rose already. Yeah, I don't quite know what to make of this. Um, I'm, you know, it's, it's not an overly impressive squash from Jericho for the most of the part. And then you got the banana peel finish. And then they went and tried to do the get the heat back thing at the end. Um, so I don't know what this all really means, really. This is not the kind of thing that first springs to mind when I think of this feud. Yeah, definitely. Um, this was not making too many of the highlight packages, I don't think. No. The Rock arrives and the Road Dog jumps in, but the rest of DX come in as the Rock starts to get the upper hand. They stuff him in the boot of the car and Road Dog drives off with the car as we go to commercial. So um, I thought it was great how The Rock was asking Roadog if he wanted to carry his bags. Um, and then Daddy Ass in the first of a couple of incidents where he doesn't know his own strength went absolutely flying into The Rock and clotheslined him onto the bonnet of the car. That was insane. Yeah, he's a, he's a big man. Um, we go to a commercial and when we come back, Kevin Kelly's with DX and they tell us they're taking over. So it's definitely a very DX-themed show, this one. Yeah, Kevin Kelly's like, are you out of your minds? And Triple H just goes, have you been watching the show? We're taking over. <laughs> oh, my God. We um, we then go to a European Championship match. D'Lo Brown defending against the British Bulldog who comes out with the Mean Street Posse. Early in the match, D'Lo goes over the top with a plancher and they brawl along the floor. Um, we get a chop block from Rodney to help the Bulldog, and then he locks in a chin lock for any of you Wrestling Bios fans. Uh, we get a backdrop, and then we get um, the posse distract, and one of them get the belt uh, for the Bulldog, and he nails D'Lo, only picks up a two, though. We get a double clothesline, they both go down. We get a forearm from D'Lo and a spin kick, a leg drop for a two, a running powerbomb, which really made me feel uneasy seeing him still using this move at this point in time. Um, Posse then distract. He gets crutched after looking to get the lowdown. And the Bulldog hits him with a superplex for a 1-2-3 and a new European champion. What did you think, firstly, about D'Lo still using the running powerbomb and then the match afterwards? So it's a risky move, I guess, doing it with Davy Boy, especially, you know, this is quite soon after what happened with Draws and Davy's st still 
kind of struggling with his back injury, I guess. Um, I, I don't know whose decision it was to put that spot in the match. I hope it would be maybe Davy's call, where it's kind of like a um, a nod of approval to D to Delo to try and um, you know get him back into the mindset of um, still wrestling um, and. Um, you know, getting back to his old self after that horrific accident. Um, so, yeah, I'm not sure what to make. Um, the match itself, well, I guess this is Davy kind of finding his level after, you know, he's come in with some pretty major storylines and now he's back to his comfort belt. Um, front power slam only getting two early on. That kind of shows that maybe even though he's doing the jeans gimmick and stuff is a bit dated coming in the company at this stage um i don't really get a whole lot of enjoyment with him doing the whole stooges routine um very low-key title change not the best not the worst as a match yeah fair i just like i've always just thought like Delo, you've got like the sky high in your arsenal you don't need a running power bomb like you don't need two power bomb variations for one wrestler i just yeah Anyway, moving right along, we go into X-Park telling Kane backstage that DX is his side gig and their partnership is still the big the big thing. And we go to our Lugs boot of the week and it's X-Park on the rock, knocking him down with a spin kick as DX reunite. And then we see Road Dog telling um, a security guard that the rock is on the other side of the tracks, an older security guard who Road Dog refers to as Father Time. <laughs> oh, poor guy. Um, yeah, but... X-Pac and Kane talk backstage is really kind of ingrained in my mind from, um, well, spoilers, their upcoming feud. That was a big part of the promo package. Um, so that gave me a bit of a flashback. Um, he apologised for getting involved on Raw and insisted it was to prevent the chick from getting involved. Yeah, which I'm assuming is Tori, but we don't see her on this show. Right, yeah. I've not seen her acknowledged on screen with Kane yet. Um, but yeah, my knowledge of where this goes is yeah, that's who I expect to. We then go to Kane and X-Pac taking on the Dudley boys. We see the Dudleys um, jumping Kane on Raw. Um, we see a clothesline from Kane and then um, a bit of no-selling. Um, some oh, Sorry, after no-selling Devon's shots. A sidewalk slam and a top rope cl- clothesline picks up a two. He hits a pair of big boots, one after the other, obviously not at the same time. Um, he jumps off the steps to clothesline Bubba Ray Dudley on the floor. The Dudley's double team came for a bit, and then X-Puck comes in and cleans house for about 10 seconds um, before tagging Kane straight back in and then low-blowing him and hitting him with the X-Factor, allowing the Dudley boys to pick up the three. Kane then clears the ring and gets to X-Pac, but DX come out with a big four-on-one. X-Pac cuts a promo on Kane, um, basically um, making me sad because this is the the breaking up of a beautiful friendship that I really enjoyed. Um, They then go to leave, and as they're all leaving the ring, Triple H gets back in to go and stand over Kane and make sure he's on camera alone stood over him, even though this is X-Pac's feud and not his and this is enough for me to earn him the subtle but warranted dick move of the week what a prick um daddy ass again not knowing his own strength when he did the running he slid all the way into the ring and immediately into a chop block to take Kane down that was immense 
so good. But yeah, just just annoyed me, Triple H, like stealing the spotlight. Like you've got The Rock and Austin in a feud right now. You don't need to steal X-Pac's spotlight. Yeah, I suppose he sees it as DX's feud more than X-Pac's feud, which is uh, unfortunate. But um, yeah, as a match, nothing much meaningful here. Apart from a kind of like Luchacane spell in the middle, um, he hit a baseball slide on Bubba and then followed it up by running up the steel steps and doing his flying clothesline off him. Some good high-flying cane. Um, yeah, that... and. That spot that you're talking about there with the, with the running up the steps, Bubba jumps into the clothesline and just makes it look all the more impressive. Yeah, you have to be really careful with the camera work there because um, like, sometimes it catches Bubba with both his feet off the ground receiving this clothesline. Like, what are you doing? It definitely did this time. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's just the natural direction for this feud to go, really, even if it cost us Kane in a green, uh, Kane in a green costume. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we then go to the Hardy Boys with Terry taking on Mark Henry and Viscera. Um, Viscera has been the one supplying Mark Henry with the... Um, what's the nicest way to say this, Duncan? <laughs> um, um, <laughs> ladies. Yeah, ladies that Jerry Lawler is not particularly fond of. Oh, boy. <laughs> um, yeah, um, he's apparently inherited... Um, these women's contracts after his feud with the godfather or something yeah so these are viscera's hoes we're told um and yeah not the not the top echelon of the godfathers um we'll just leave it at that you can watch it if you want to see (laughs) lola was very nasty about these women yeah i've always like this is one of them things i've always wondered right like you know, it probably goes all the way back to like early Raw or even like the Bobby Heenan show, although I didn't, I wasn't around to watch that. But like the women that are on the show just to be pointed out how unattractive they are, like how do you fall into that role and be okay with it? That's Beats gotta, me. It's got to be some awkward conversations to get that started. I can tell you they don't take that attitude when it's Mick Foley's wife that's one of uh, the Godfather's valets. No, definitely not. <laughs> um, we get a double team on Viscera from the Hardys to start. Viscera clotheslines them both and DDTs them both. Um, Jerry Lawler calls... I've just said I'm trying to avoid it, but this is like one of my all-time favourite insults when he calls one of them a wildebeest. Oh, good lord. <laughs> just, just a funny term. I've used that so many times in my life. Um, Terry distracts Mark Henry, and that brings us a twist of fate and swanton bomb for the one, two, three on Mark Henry. Viscera is not happy, and he gets in and beats the shit out of Mark Henry to send him a message. Um, so there's a bit more trademark Hardy Boys offense in this match than I, I figured there would be given their opposition. Um... Yeah, and it also puts over their relationship with Terry, unlike the match last week. Um, but still, it's mostly a brawling match, really. Yeah, Henry and Visser is not a team that I'm really excited to see. Um, but the Hardys are just quietly like finding their feet here in late 99. And, you know, the, the spots... Oh, it's, it's so funny with high-flying wrestlers. Like, they're so... Um, like so refreshing when they first come in and it's just after a while that you sort of, for me personally, it's like when you see the same spots for several years in a row, it becomes less interesting. Like, and I, I probably the, the best comparison on that is Rob Van Dam. Like in, 
ECW, that wasn't a thing, but in the WWF when he came in, he just had the same four or five spots. And as impressive as they are, after a few years, it just loses the effect a little bit. Let's not forget as well, so this is only a couple of weeks after the ladder match. They're not doing a very good job at capitalising them. And then you look at Edge and Christian as well, they're um, doing the honours for too cool to get that new, new gimmick over too. So this sometimes feel like feels like a trope of modern WWE, but even back then it seems like they're not very good at striking while the iron's hot. No, history, when you go back and actually dig, shows a lot of, like, fumbles before they get there. Um, mm-hmm. The one, like, I think I watched the, um, was it the bio on Stone Cold recently? I found the bios, but they're on an app on my phone that I can't get on the TV. So I think I've only watched the Austin one and started the Roddy Piper one now. Um, but, yeah, like, even going back and watching the history on him is how long it really took before they really lit the match under him after King of the Ring. Like, he was on the pre-show against Yokozuna mm-hmm. at that SummerSlam. Yeah, they even... That was on one of Austin's DVDs as well, and highlighting it as like a, oh yeah, I love my time working with Yoko, and like, it's it's the pre-show match. Why do you want to draw attention to that? Um, I just got finished watching the Wrestling Bios uh, Blunder episode on the Battle Dome crossover. That's definitely worth your time, especially if you're a, a child of Friday nights on Channel Five with WCW Worldwide and Battle Dome as a double bill. There you go. I've not watched that one yet, so I'll be looking forward to seeing that. Um, we then go to the boss man taking on Al Snow. We see a video package of boss man um, with Pepper and that whole thing to go down, and then the big show's daddy. Um, so they're really painting the boss man as a bit of a dastardly heel here. He jumps. <laughs> oh, sorry, you jump in. Yeah, very handy recap of boss man behaving badly. <laughs> you missed as well. Um, DX were backstage and the old security guy told them that Austin had arrived and Roadhog's like, hey, that's Grandad! <laughs> I did miss that. That's right. Oh, my God. Al Snow um, tosses the boss man out of the ring and hits a plancher and then a slingshot leg drop for a two back in the ring. Boss man with a big boot. Snow with a small package for a two. Michael Cole um, is stealing Tony Schiavone's that time a lot on this show here. It really started to, to get to me in this match. Um, Albert, who's out with the boss man, distracts Al Snow. Boss man nails him with the hardcore title to pick up the one, two, three. And then Al Snow gets on the mic and challenges him to, to a two-on-one match in the parking lot for the hardcore title, which I will splice in right about here. Beats Al Snow, and King, we got to take another look at this. And here's what happened. Referee's back turned and watched the boss man with a hardcore championship. Oh. Boss oh, man, you... Wait a minute, let's... Hold on. What a shock. What a surprise. What a major upset that was. Here he goes. He's going the off. two of you beating me. Wow! What does it mean by that? But you know what? I don't know if it's the shot to my head or the fact the doctor's up the dosage on my medication. Oh, no. But I, being the grizzled veteran that I am, feel like I've let the youth of this sport down, Prince Albert. What? Because you... You just weren't physically involved enough in this match. 
Wasn't involved enough. I know you didn't do a thing, and I feel bad. So I was thinking. Uh-oh. I was thinking. That's since you've got my hardcore title, because I am the Clown Prince of Hardcore. That's the hardcore, man. Did he say Clown Prince? I'm thinking, what, what the hell? The night's young. I'm not done having fun. Why don't the two of you meet me in the outside parking lot for a hardcore match for that belt? What? You bring your girlfriend from cell block H, and I'll kick both your asses. What? Al Snow has just challenged the boss man and Prince Albert to a hardcore match in the parking lot. Pretty decent closing line there. You bring your girlfriend from cell block H, and I'll kick both your asses. Yeah, it's a bit of, um, a bit of, like, charisma from snow here but also a bit of like there was a tinge to this promo of like i know i'm not as over as i want to be so i'm gonna highlight that here mm, he was um did you notice so he was not only in his job squad t he came out without head yeah i was wondering if this was around the time that his action figure got banned for having the mannequin head with it and UPN being on like network television and this being a PG show, they um, kind of had to follow through with that or something. Possibly. I mean, I, I'm like I'm not saying that's not the reason, but it does. It like <laughs> the the ultimate irony of that would be that like his mannequin head got banned, but we could see Mark Henry swapping two out and two in on the same show. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Well, if WCW is anything to go by, there's a lot that still slips by standards and practices. <laughs> um, we we then go backstage and we see the road dog caught in a bear trap, which looks pretty painful and nasty. <laughs> and who put him in that bear trap? Stone Cold Steve Austin. <laughs> and he also remarks, oh, looks like it hurts. Yes, Take pour- care, you son of a bitch. And pours beer on him. Oh my god, what a dick. <laughs> <laughs> we go to commercial and when we come back, Bossman and Albert go out into the parking lot um, waiting for our snow, but it's cold, so they get in the car to stay warm. Um, the car is parked right up against a wall, which is the first thing that gets your spidey senses tingling. Um, and because they both have to get in through the one side, so straight away, like, if we drove to the arena together, Duncan, and afterwards we went to get in the car and the car was now parked up against a wall i would be questioning how one of us got out of the car when we arrived (laughs) now see if you're on the little tiny english country roads you have to worry about this but arena parking it's not going to be that full like you're not going to be that stuck for a spot are you absolutely not the only kayfabe savior i can give them is if all the wrestles have valet parking um they jump they jump in the car big show um blocks them in um, and then goes above the car to a little retaining wall and pushes a dumpster on top of the car. So they should now be dead in theory. Basically. Yeah. This is wow. Um, I, I guess big show doesn't regret this. Cause he says he's going to leave before he does something he regrets. Yeah. Yeah. So a bit of a, bit of a turnaround here. This was a bit, you know, uh, it's up there with, um, Austin dropping Triple H from the like like the crane in the car and you know some of those angles from Big Show falling off the building like this really should be at the very least very critical condition in the hospital. Mm, yeah, um, speaking of critical conditions, 
the EMTs were seeing a road dog after trying to get him out of the bear trap. And one of them was Barbara Bush. Hey, she's going to become very prominent in the months to come. Mm. We then see Mankind walking, and I believe he made an enemy for life out of you as he walked past an open door and said, Hey, Blackburn, I'll let you know when I find your charisma, buddy. (laughs) Random Steve, random Steve, insulted by Mankind. (laughs) Did you hear him nicking Bray Wyatt's gimmick as well? No. He was singing He's Got the Whole World in His Hands. Oh, yeah, he was too as he was walking down. Yeah, I should have made note of that, but the whole Blackman line just made me piss myself laughing thinking about you. (laughs) For one of the most famously nice guys in the business, he was a bit of a bastard in this segment. (laughs) He sure was. Uh, We then see Billy Gunn hogtied upside down and Austin's caught another one. (laughs) I love how... Like, several weeks ago, we had the Austin going hunting with JR, and now it's finally paying off. He's using his actual hunting skills. <laughs> Absolutely. We go to our next match, which is Mankind taking on Val Venus. Um, we get our Coast Guard rescue of the week, showing Val Venus saving Triple H from losing the title on Raw to Mankind. And then he cuts a very bland promo on the ramp before the match. He's not convincing anyone he's a main eventer anymore. Oh, really weird promo. Um, basically exists to plug Foley's book and it being a New York Times uh, top 10 bestseller. Yeah, we all like, you know, in a few months' time, um, and I know like you and Duncan have talked about this as well because of the Triple H connection especially, we talk about how amazing Mankind was for Triple H's career and, you know, basically got him to the next level. Well, for everything he did for Triple H, he did not do for Val Venus. This is more kind of um, Ric Flair and Kenny Dykstra levels of uh, (laughs) trying to make a a star off a bigger star. Hulk Hogan and Billy Kidman, even. (laughs) Oh, good lord. (laughs) Um, He runs down the ring and they get into a very basic start. Bit of brawling on the outside. Um, Michael Cole with the line of the night says, um, talking about Val Venus' acting, what do you mean acting? All of his lines are just, ugh, and ah. Oh! I forgot about that, yeah. <laughs> that's, that's the funniest thing I've ever heard Michael Cole say. <laughs> oh my god, nailed it. <laughs> this, this is the most sexed up pair of shows we've reviewed, I think. I know what was going on here. Oh, I know. A <laughs> bit, bit of tension on the road for two companies. <laughs> um, Val hits a drop toe, toe hold. The crowd are dead for this one. Um, Mankind with a double arm DDT, but he's got no socko. Um, Val hits a Russian leg sweep. I mean, he's got he doesn't have the sock to use. He misses the money shot, but Al runs out and brings socko for Mankind to use, and he gets the rare one two three pin with socko. Hmm. What did you think of this one? This is, it's all very beneath Mick, really, isn't it? Um, I didn't like how um, to give Mankind his comebacks. Val just randomly gave up on his holds at certain periods of this match. Um, Big, nasty scene of 2005 comeback-style match here. Didn't like it. No, it did nothing for me, and I think we can safely agree that Val Venus' push is now dead. Basically, yeah. We see DX backstage. Um, They've got Road Dog and Billy Gunn sort of, you know, brushing off their injuries. Triple H and X-Pac are there talking about it. When X-Pac's phone rings... um, 
he steps back away from DX to hear the call, and Austin says to him, keep reaching for the stars. He looks up, and the roof collapses on him. This one was the most far-fetched of the three, because X-Pac had to walk under the very roof tile that was going to collapse um, without any prodding from Austin, but um, Austin's now got three of the four DX members. Well, and, you know, we were talking about Billy Kidman's magic camcorder earlier that its feed live out to the arena. We've got um, X-Pac's magic cell phone that enabled us to hear what Austin was saying to him. Yeah, that's true as well. It's a bit um, Hogan seeing Warrior in the mirror, in the mirror, in the mirror there. Um, we go to a commercial and then DX come out Triple H cuts a promo on Stone Cold they check under the ring for him and they give him the count of 10 to come out he does eventually come onto the ramp where he cuts a promo that I will splice in for everybody here listen to you flap your gums running your mouth all night long about how DX is back well Stone Cold don't give a rat's ass about all that oh my gosh you come out here and say you're the game and that you're taking over the World Wrestling Federation. Well, eh, eh, that just ain't going to happen. Look at you, four pieces of trash. I go backstage, I set a bear trap, thinking I'm going to catch a bear, and I catch a jackass. What? It's Road Dog. Oh, get hot, you little <laughs> Badass Billy Gunn. They ought to call you dumbass Billy Gunn. Because you fall for the old snare on the ground trick and you're hanging upside down back there. You silly b- oh. Hell, X-Pack, the only thing I like about you is your name because it sounds almost like a six-pack, but you're so damn stupid. You're so damn stupid. I give you the old Casey Kasem line. Keep your feet on the ground and keep reaching for the stars. You look up and damn, the whole ceiling falls down on your little sorry ass. Yeah, thanks to you, you rattlesnake. As far as you go, Triple H, why the long face? You got the World Wrestling Federation Championship. You're running a show out there, but you don't impress me one bit. So if you want me to run down there, open up a can of whoop ass on DX, give me a hell yeah. What, you don't want him to come down there? No, I, I do. Because I, yeah, I want to see you try. Come on. That's right. The Rattlestake can't do this. King, it's four on one. Yeah, he can. Come on. I don't care if DX He's is the wounded. He's the toughest SOB. Well, Let he him may prove well it. be, but come on, DX, it's four on one. Oh, they're ready DX to go. sucks. Give me a hell yeah. What? Well, you know what the crowd thinks. DX does not suck. Yeah. Wait a minute. What? Wait a minute. Austin. Austin is dead in DX. What's happened? The tables are even. He then catches DX in a bear trap. Um, catch a jackass, he says. Um, more like a dumbass. <laughs> um, catches them all in the net. Um, they do get out, so they don't look too stupid. Um, but as Austin's brawling with them, trying to get up out of the net, out comes Kane and then The Rock. And the faces clear house to a huge crowd pop in what I can only imagine was a really supercharged dark match after the show went off the air. Oh, surely. Yeah, because... Like how both of these shows are pretty horny, they both end with the "We're out of time" finish. Yeah, with the six-man brawl. Yeah, it looked like Billy Gunn was about to get a choke slam and then just cuts out. Um, what do you think to that as a closing angle? I found it interesting, like not having a match um, for the closing segment. 
and not ending with like a decisive, you know, like normally when you've got like an angle main event, it usually ends with someone standing tall. Whereas this just sort of like went away. Um, I don't mind it, but I probably would have preferred to actually like get a match announced. Even if it was just a match announced from Raw after the faces cleaned, cleaned house, that would have been something. Right, yeah. I wonder if it's, you know, just because it's very early in DX's comeback, they didn't want you to get a sense that they had been completely um, swept away here and that, oh, they haven't abandoned this while it's ongoing because they've run out of time and, you know, it's going to be a bit more of an even scuffle after um, they recover from these finishes and stuff. Um, but I don't know. Yeah, possibly. It was just different. I didn't mind it. Um, I'm, I'm not... You know, I'm definitely not against it, but it, it was unusual the way it, the show cut out here, I think. Hmm. I liked how X-Pac still had the dust from the ceiling in his hair. <laughs> yeah, they were all, like, carrying obvious signs of their wounds as, as they went on during the show, weren't they? Yeah, um, and I adored Austin's promo here. You know, we got the classic, eh, eh, to DX taking over, and... Um, he called Billy Gunn, dumbass Billy Gunn, for falling for the snare trap. You silly bastard. <laughs> yeah, Austin was in, he, in good form. He told X-Pac, he likes X-Pac's name because it kind of sounds like six-pack, but he's still stupid. <laughs> My God, Austin was just on fire on the mic. Um, it, you know, the other thing that probably, I like looking at this now, especially talking about Austin and, and his great promo, we never really got much of the rock on this episode. That's true, yeah. Um, the running was the like most prominent thing he did in the show, really. He got taken out by DX early on and snuffed out, really. Uh, yeah, I think like it would have even been better if Road Dog just came up half- halfway through a rock promo instead of him arriving to the arena. Mm. I suppose I couldn't have stuffed if- him in the car then, but still, you could have just left him laying. Yeah, if anything um i could fault with closing with that angle the way that they did you'd get the impression watching this show that the big build towards survivor series is going to be dx versus all of these big baby faces in the survivor series match instead of austin rock and triple h for the title first time ever dream match yeah definitely I agree. Um, the crowd do pop huge on the way out, though. They love the ending. Um, and that does take us to the end of both shows, so it's time for us to go and pick ourselves a winner. Um, let's start off with which show highlighted the best characters. Um, I'll let you go first tonight, Duncan. So I will side with SmackDown here. Um, these shows have lots of very, very similar tropes to each other. Um you know, in terms of like running themes and certain stables getting the highlights throughout all the show. But I liked um, Stone Cold Steve Austin, Jackass Hunter or whatever. Um, and um, yeah, just putting over that DX is back together and things like that. Um, I think the... yeah, it's just lots of interest there. Yeah, I think the closing angle is probably like what's going to make or break. We have to compare the Filthy Animals and Revolution brawling or Rock Austin Kane and DX brawling. Like for me, that really shows the clear difference in like the golfing class between the players that are highlighted on each show. Um, yeah, so yeah. Also went the WWF, obviously. Um, Storyline advancement. This was a bit of a, um, 
I guess for WCW, like the main thread of the show was the title tournament or like the one, like the in-house sort of like the one show thread was Chavo Guerrero looking for Goldberg versus the WWF having like the DX storyline, including Vince, Rock, Austin. And then you've got the big boss man storyline as well as a couple of other little things going on as well. So for me, I thought probably the WWF had better and more like, you know, quantity and quality of storyline. But what did you think on that one? I would go with WWF as well here. Yeah, like I was saying everything revolving around DX. Um, too cool getting established and a pretty dramatic turn of events in the Bossman and Big Show rivalry too. Um, Thunder, like you mentioned, the world title tournament. And I think that kind of like forced them to be a bit more constrained here too. Because like all of the matches are purely on Nitro. So you get like some little bits of references and some smattering of star power here but don't really feel like other than the animals and the revolution feud that there's there's much going on that's going to have actual consequences in the future like you're saying how they didn't seem to be the urgency from the animals to get tory back it felt like they were kind of in a holding pattern until they could get to a nitro yeah i agree with that um what about the crowd this was an interesting one because at times i noted the crowd were hot and at times i noticed the crowd were dead for both shows so this is probably the one where it was the closest in my eyes who did you go with i still went with smackdown i think when it was the top top stars in actual rewarding angles they reacted um i just think the crowd from wcw it wasn't all that memorable um and it, it was kind of on the small side too yeah, I went the same way, and it was mostly because of that main event angle and how hot the crowd were on SmackDown. Um, production value, I also went SmackDown. There's nothing to stand out about either show, but I just felt like, you know, like, I, and maybe this isn't production, but just, like, the seeing the guys talking backstage before they have a match. Like, I know that's more story than production, but they put it in a segment, so I'm going to call it out. What did you think for, for production value? I feel I have to go for SmackDown purely to punish Thunder for deciding that the maestro deserves some pyro. Fuck off. <laughs> um, and match quality, I went WWF. Although I do think, actually, looking back, actually, I'm gonna I'm gonna call this one a tie. Um, I think I was more considering the main event stuff, which technically wasn't a match. So I'm gonna have to scrub that out. And then there wasn't anything on SmackDown that. I felt was amazing. Edge and Christian versus Too Cool was probably the best. Maybe Kane and X-Pac against the Dudleys. But I think the Revolution and some of the Luchadors on Thunder at least earns a tie on this one for me. What did you think? I feel like the worst of Thunder is enough to drag it down for me. Like the Maestro and Prince, um, Curly Bill, fuck off. Yeah. Um, Lash and Chavo, just nothing. Like you say, there's nothing truly rewarding on... Um, Smackdown side of things the only really big dip for me was um, Jericho and Stevie just nothing I didn't know what to make of that it, it's really similar in terms of in-ring quality you know the, the tags the tag matches with the things that held your interest for most Bossman and Al for what it's worth it's a really low bar but they probably had their best match together that we've seen on this timeline and so there was less outright offensively bad stuff on SmackDown than Thunder, I thought. Yeah, I could go for that. I think either way, we've got a pretty solid SmackDown win, which is going to be the case, I think, most weeks for this whole timeline. But 
you never know. Thunder might scrape out the underdog victory one week. SmackDown might have an off week. We'll we'll have to keep watching to find out. But I, I guess like I there's probably part of me I think when we do these reviews that thinks when one show that's been getting dominated improves, you feel like giving them the win, but it's still not good enough for the win. It's tough, yeah, because there is a lot more of interest on this Thunder as opposed to past episodes that we've seen, and it, it's kind of hard to really truly reflect that in the ratings, really, because improvement doesn't necessarily mean they're still going to get the better of the other lot. Yeah, and, you know, like, I guess looking back, maybe I'm being a bit too soft as well, because I'm talking about putting a this is all fake and we've got a creative team episode of Thunder against SmackDown. Like, SmackDown's still got to kick its ass. Mm, for sure. Well, that'll do it for this episode. That was a really fun one to go back and watch. I really enjoyed um, both watching the shows and chatting about it with you tonight, Duncan. So thank you once again for coming on. Oh, it was a joy. Yeah, absolutely. And you said you've got Vengeance coming up with Kyle. What else is in the pipeline for that now whatever? So our next one that we'll be recording in a week or so will be Survivor Series 2001. Um, there's lots of little extras hidden in on that one. Um, we're going to cover the Sunday Night Heat before that show. And we're also going to cover the special episode of The Weakest Link featuring the WWF and Alliance superstars that aired around that time, which I'm really excited about too. So good. I'd like you to really focus quite heavily on test winning the Immunity Battle Royal, if you could do that for me, because 21 years later, my brother and I will still pop huge if the other one says, you can't fire me, I've got immunity. <laughs> the highlight of the show. Survivor Series 2001 is a low-key, really good pay-per-view that doesn't get talked about very often as well, by the way. I um, really did enjoy that show when I watched it. 2001 is a very good year for wrestling um, in terms of match quality, I think. Yeah, for sure. The, um, the storyline, unfortunately, makes everyone look back with sadness. But 2001, um, it might be the only year ever where I watched every single pay-per-view, by the way. Um, as, oh, nice. Like, yeah, um, I got the Rumble, got No Way Out, got WrestleMania, like lived on my own all year, ordered every pay-per-view, just talked to you earlier about having Vengeance as the last one, but I think I even got the two UK ones that year as well. So that was a solid calendar year. I was in the 12th grade, my last year of school, and spent most of it watching wrestling, and that was a poor life choice that I've spent many years trying to recover from. <laughs> <laughs> or playing like SmackDown and No Mercy until <laughs> all hours of the night before going to school. I yeah, don't recommend teenagers move out and try and be independent and perform well <laughs> at high school. It was a bad idea. <laughs> Uh, but that sounds really exciting. I'm looking forward to that. Um, I'm going to be recording with um, Richie again very soon. He's back in the saddle looking at some 93 Raw and WCW Saturday Night. And I really enjoyed watching the um, Mind Games and Fall Brawl pay-per-view in the 96 timeline, which I was one of my last episodes. So I'm definitely going to be getting back on Raw and Nitro and watching some more of that. So there's plenty more still to come um, in the next month or two on the podcast here as well. Ah, oh, sweet. Awesome. Well, that will do us for today. Um, so from me, thank you very much, everyone, for listening as always. Try and get a few more shows out to you over the next month or two while I've got a bit more spare time. And thanks, Duncan, for coming on once again. I'll catch you down the road. <laughs> <laughs>